education. In education, what's something we should preserve, what's something we should prune, and what's something we should pioneer? Welcome to Hallway Conversations. We're a trio of educators who have plenty of questions about teaching and learning and school culture, and we believe in the value of collaboration and reflection as we seek to keep growing as teachers. So this podcast is our place for thinking out loud together about issues in education and why they might matter to Christian educators. Welcome to the conversation. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Hallway Conversations. My name is Matt Beamers. I'm Abby DeGrill. And I'm Dave Mulder. Dave and Abby, we recently began implementing check-in questions. So my check-in question comes today in the context of being someone who loves, loves, loves going on road trips. And I was listening to my daughters plan uh, their spring break trip mm. where they hope to drive to somewhere in Colorado. And nice. Totally. It's so nice for them, and I wish I was going going with them. It just made me want to get on the, on the mm. open road and head somewhere. And <laughs> as I was doing that, I was reflecting on some of our favorite road trips as a family. And by favorite, I mean trips that were so good but also trips that were just disastrous and their favorite for all kinds of different reasons. <laughs> I remember we used to live in, uh, we used to live in Bozeman, Montana. We wanted to surprise our family back in Vancouver. Um, and we got about halfway. So we left after school on a Friday. So it was about, it's about an 11, 12 hour drive. So we were going to get there at one or two in the morning. And yeah. I don't know what we were going to do when we got there, knock on someone's door, I guess. <laughs> and we broke down a little outside Coeur d'Alene, Idaho oh, yeah. at mid, like, just at a crazy, it was a crazy time. It was, late, it was late at night. And we basically rolled into this small town called Cataldo, Idaho. And there was almost no one there except there was one bar that was open. And so I walked in there late at night, Friday night, with fear and trepidation. I said, is there a mechanic around? And they pointed us to a, a, a house with no lights on that had a Quonset cellar. And they're like, there's a mechanic that lives there. And so what do you do? Do you knock on the door at 11 o'clock at night? Like you're in northern oh, no. Idaho. And I, I guess we were just naive. I just went and knocked on, knocked on the door. And the guy woke up. And thankfully, uh, he was really gracious. And he actually ended up being like, you know, like taking, being kind to us. And um, he's like, well, what, where are you guys going to? I can look at it in the morning. Um, what are you guys doing? So we were sharing, like, we just shared a little bit of our story, wanting to surprise our family. And he's like, you guys need a, a place to sleep. We And for some what? reason, we're like, yeah, sure, wow. great. Wow. Um, you know, didn't know who he was. Like, looking back, even as I tell the story right now, it's like, it was a different. we time. were really trusting, I realized. <laughs> and so was he. Yeah. And so we ended up sleeping in this camper in his driveway and at, four o'clock or four thirty in the morning we heard him drive away and we're like what happened it ended up falling back asleep and basically we woke up at seven or eight o'clock in the morning and our car was fixed he had gotten up at four four thirty in the morning had driven you know an hour one way to get the part came back and fixed it Aww. and we were on our way and i remember think we were thinking at the time this guy's like some sort of angel like yeah. in fact i remember getting taking a picture like we got our picture taken with him and I remember joking to Beth that I would not be surprised if we get this picture done and he's not in the picture. Right. Like, it was real, right. like really, and it was really interesting because the next, a few months later, we just did the trip again and we, we drove by there and it was closed and there was a for sale sign on the yeah. place and it was oh. gone. It was just this weird. So I always think yeah. about that time of, of our angel in Cataldo. Idaho, and so that's, a, that's such a cool a story. Yeah, it was a real, but as I kind of tell it, it's like, 
I wonder if we would do it the same way now. But yeah. Anyways, hey, how about you guys? Favorite road trip or anything? Well, that's memorable? a hard story to follow. Yeah, no joke. Actually, mine is rather lighthearted, actually. So when we were, oh, how long had we been married? Probably five years. I was pregnant with Harper. So it must have been 2009-ish. We went to one of Jason's cousin's weddings, actually in Boise, Idaho. All right. So yeah. we drove with his sister and her now husband. The four of us drove out there, stopped in um, Montana, stayed there for a couple days, went to Yellowstone, nice. drove out to Boise. And then the wedding was on a Saturday. And, of course, my husband had to be back to work on Monday. Wow. Right? Wow. So, drove from Boise to Rock Valley, Iowa in one day. Oh, Lord. The four of us. Day. So, we took turns as couples. Wow. Right? Um, in that ambitious. vehicle, sleeping and driving. Mm. And at one point, Jason and I were asleep in the back. We were in South Dakota somewhere. Um, and we realized that we were stopped, and our brother-in-law had gotten pulled over. Oh, and he was Lord. doing... I don't even know what, but oh, it was a lot. Really fast. It was fast. <laughs> yeah. And that little stinker, the cop was out of tickets. Come after on. After he pulled him over. So oh. this was before, like, a digital he, yeah. paper tickets. He, he literally pulled him over, gave him the once over for going so fast, opened his ticket book, out of tickets. No way. Let us go. I was living right. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's my great road trip story. That's a good story. Yeah. That's a really good story. Yeah. So my favorite story for road trips, when I taught in California years and years ago, um, my wife Missy and I decided one summer we were just going to take the road trip up the Pacific Coast. Yeah. And so we were living down by San Diego, and we spent three weeks um, just driving up the coast, and we went all the way up to British Columbia. Um, yeah. And went to Vancouver. Um, we stayed with people we knew. We were we were young and foolish, but yeah. we had friends all over the place. Yeah. And um, I think there were only two nights on that entire trip that we actually paid to sleep someplace. Wow. And we yeah. were gone for more than three weeks. Wow. And it was fantastic. And that was good. Just um, so many happy memories of beautiful places that we saw and wonderful people that we mm-hmm. stayed with along yeah. the way. Yeah. It was wonderful. Folks, if, you, uh, if you've got any good stories about road trips or any other feedback or topics that you'd like to us to discuss in the podcast, please don't hesitate to send us an email at hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. That's hallwayconvospod at gmail.com. So, Dave, I understand you were listening to a podcast earlier this week, which sort of is the genesis, I think, of the question that you're bringing today. Right. So can you share a little bit yeah, about that? Yeah, let me give you the context. So a podcast I listen to fairly regularly is The Holy Post. Uh, it's Phil Vischer and Skagitani. Uh, Phil Vischer is the VeggieTales guy. Skagitani is a theologian and pastor, and he wrote for Christianity Today for a while. Um, I don't always agree with them, but I always appreciate the listening in on mm-hmm. it. And one of the things that they do, the first half of their show is a lot like this, where they're just talking together about a topic of the day. Um, of concern for Christians, and then the second half they always have an interview where one of them interviews uh, a thinker, uh, someone who had a book out recently, or something like that. So anyway, um, it was in the context of this week's episode, um, in the in the interview section of it, um, they were they were talking with a pastor, and uh, his question was post COVID, um, what are things that their church should preserve, what are things their church should prune, and what are things their church should pioneer. I really like that question for churches to grapple with, but then it got me thinking, well, we should talk about that on the show today, mm-hmm. too. So in education, here's my question for you. Sure. In education, what's something we should preserve, what's something we should prune, and what's something we should pioneer mm-hmm. in education? 
Wow. Can I give you a for instance? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I've been thinking about this a little bit, and I'll start with my, let's just start with preserve, the things okay. we should keep doing, right? Okay. Um, one thing I think we should preserve, I think this is almost too late for a lot of schools, I think we should preserve school librarians and media specialists. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. The schools that I've served in, uh, in K-12, when we had someone who was dedicated to that work of being a school librarian or school media specialist, those people are absolute gems. And the knowledge that they hold and their ability to get the right materials into right. teachers' and students' right. hands right. is gold. Mm-hmm. And I think there's not enough folks, there's not enough schools that I think are, are dedicating to ensuring that we've got those people available. So that's, that's something I'd like to one. see us preserve. Mm-hmm. How about you, Abby, thinking of anything? Yeah. So I think along those same lines, that sparks a little bit of an idea for me. Um, in my Intro to Ed Psych course, we actually study a lot about the connection between movement and music and the brain and the arts and creativity. Yeah. And I think that's another area where schools feel like it's easy to cut mm-hmm. um, that I think should be preserved, right? So yeah. music education, PE, getting kids outside, getting mm-hmm. them moving. Um, yeah. is really important to holistic development, yeah. especially for young kids, but also for older kids. Oh, yeah. Um, and actually, movement develops the learning centers in young brains. And so taking that away is actually counterintuitive right. to getting them yeah. to learn more and better. And so that's one thing that I would say I, I love to that. preserve. And I, I just think that you're, you're exactly right. Sometimes these subjects that we call the specials, as if right. we think they're, well, it's not real learning. Right. It's just that, fluff, like, right? but it's actually no. essential to the real learning. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things, one of the things I wrote, wrote down is, is recess. Mm-hmm. I just, this, I mean, yeah. tied a little, just Absolutely. this idea. It was, it's been amazing to me, or intriguing to me is maybe a better word to, as I talk to teachers about how um, recess and free time and play time for some reason seems to get cut in some schools. Mm-hmm. And and I don't fully understand it, to be, um, to be really honest with you, that like it goes a bit to what you're talking about. Like what, what do we know, not, not just speculate, but what do we know to be true for students, right? right. And we know that it's good for students. I think, I think that time outside maximizes or gives you a better chance Absolutely. of maximizing what happens, happens yeah, inside. Sure. So even the social skills. Totally. Develop, yeah, totally. Right? You think about navigating. Yeah. The conflict resolution that when you yes. see them having to figure out how, when they're playing kickball or football mm-hmm. or, or it was amazing to me being out there watching the games that students made up, like, mm-hmm. and how these yeah. games evolved. Like I remember when I was a principal, on the play at our school and probably in other places too, this game called Manhunt was huge. It was just, and the game just evolved over the course of of the year. And um, I just think, and no one's telling them to do that. There's no adult getting involved. There's no adult, um, and so it was just, it was just to watch that type of learning, um, and relationship building and conflict solving mm-hmm. skills that would that would happen. I just think there's so many good things that happen during recess. Let's talk about pruning a little bit. You guys have things that you think we should prune out of education? I have a pet peeve. What do you got? Um, So this comes from many years of thinking about reading, asking our Gwen and I, um, who teaches with me, she teaches the um, children's and adolescent lit course with me. We always ask our students their reading stories. Mm. So how has school shaped your reading? 
Um, I would really love to see all grade schools prune the AR program. Oh, accelerated Reader. Accelerated yeah. Reader. Is, <laughs> Did you write that down? God bless you, Abby. It's on, on my list. And yeah. I know there are good intentions behind it. And if yeah. you use it, I am not trying to imply anything about mm. your intentions or about your desire for your students to read. I understand it's an accountability tool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand it's a, it's a way to actually get kids in books, but it also... Um, there's a lot of research, and the thing that convinced me about AR is I read an article one time that described it as if um, that really did, it, it gave out data that showed that rewarding kids with AR points and tests, um, that extrinsic motivation destroyed the intrinsic motivation that students had to read. Mm -hmm. And once the extrinsic motivation came away, so they graduated out of AR, which obviously no one gets AR points for their whole adult life, yeah, right? right? Their reading levels actually fell to below what they were wow. before mm -hmm. that AR program. Yeah. So it actually, it, the AR program actually decreased the level of independent reading for those students. And that is the exact opposite of what I, as an English teacher, want for, sure. for yeah. students. I want to cultivate a love of reading. I want to, yeah. to cultivate independent reading skills. I want them to do it long after they leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think AR does that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my pruning. A hearty amen for me as a former English teacher and as a person who was a proponent of AR when I first came across it. It was a, a, multiple schools that I've been have used it. Um, the data I collected was from my daughters mm -hmm. and the, the way they would talk about AR and what that did to their love of reading and, um, you know, and I'm not to stick that all on AR, mm -hmm. that I'm sure there's other factors that contributed to that. Um, but when I started, when I just had that experience myself, boy, I had a, I had a lot of regret for implementing that practice, yeah. practice and in I, my class. And I think too, it it shapes how you read in yeah. such mm. fundamental ways yeah, yeah. because the, the questions are asking for details of the story instead of the big idea and the yeah. and the yeah. themes that we really want students to hang on to right mm -hmm. they're asking names and details and i don't want my students reading right. to remember those things yeah. i want them reading yeah. for for the aesthetic enjoyment of it for these big ideas mm -hmm. um yeah. for comprehension not picky details yeah. that demotivate them my my prudence. Okay, I'm going to say something controversial here. Okay. Oh People boy, might, might disagree. Well, AR yeah, might be controversial too. Well, we'll yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the controversial thing is, I'm actually not opposed to standardized testing. Okay. And perfect, because I have standardized testing. Oh, so my we're going to disagree on this okay. one. Yeah. No, but I, I what I would like to see us prune is abusing standardized tests for things mm -hmm. they're not designed for. Mm -hmm. The the test in and of itself, I think, can be useful as a snapshot in time. Yeah. Here's how a group of students is doing right now. That is the intent of a standardized test, and that is not the way they're used. We use it to track individual achievement. We use yeah. it to pin things on teachers that are unfair for, mm -hmm. for them, uh, places that are using merit pay based on yeah. students' achievement on, on tests so the teachers get paid. Or grading whole schools. Yes. That, that is not what yes. this is for, no. right? So I'm not opposed to standardized testing so long as we're using the results for what they're designed for. Mm -hmm. but, but what are the results designed for, Dave? Help me understand that. So my thought on that is I think it is useful for me as a snapshot in time to track a group of students over time yeah. and to be able to look yeah. at a group of students. I don't think it's helpful at the individual yeah. student level, yeah. but for me as a, as a school leader to say, okay, so this group of students, here's how they're progressing over time. And to look at the yeah. aggregate data, not the individual data, 
tracking so my, all the time. So yes, my, my yeah. disagreement with that though is that it's tracking a group of students over time, but measuring them in one specific way. Yes. Right, and that's I guess that is like it's not it's not giving a whole snapshot. It's saying if you are you know you could even go as far to say if you are good at taking tests and being yeah, assessed yeah. in this yeah. one specific way, boy, we've got we've got the <laughs> test right. for you, right? And <laughs> right. so and so I can think about you can think about students who who might not that might. You know, standardized tests for different, you know, they could have test anxiety. They're, they could be, you know, multiple choices, just not their way of demonstrating their mm. learning. And, and that's my struggle with it is that it's, it's, it's one way to demonstrate your learning. And if that is, does not fit for whatever reason that, that that's a struggle for you, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't provide alternative ways to measure. So, so I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to it either, to be honest, in the sense of, of when we get results from standardized tests that we can sit there and say how might we use the information we received here to make improvements to our program yes but that's to be, what i didn't say that's really what yeah I really right to be able to yeah. sit there and say you know like i can remember getting some results on some standardized tests that indicated we had some work to do as a school in terms of math problem solving story sure. problems yes yeah right and so that was helpful but but again, my worry is that because of that data, now we, are we are we making changes mm. so that the data on those standardized tests demonstrate improve? See, look, yeah. now we're better. Is this the tail end of the dog? Totally. Right. So that's so mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not against it. I, yeah. I guess I'm just more. Uh, I wonder about that piece of it. It's like it's not it's not multiple ways to demonstrate learning. Anyways, no, that's a good so I don't disagree. Well, no, just we can think differently. Right? <laughs> totally. No, yeah. But, but you're both saying that it should be part of a larger whole. Yes. Yeah. It Thank should not you, be yeah. an that's end it. in itself. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that's the way it plays out in schools because right. there's other high stakes things attached to the results right. of these standardized tests right. that it ends up being yeah. the thing rather than mm -hmm. an indicator. Right. Anyways, your last one, Dave, about pioneering. pioneering. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? Well, okay. So the pioneering thing I've been thinking about, I've been thinking a lot about uh, just teachers that I've had conversations with, uh, both face-to-face -face and, and people who I'm following on Twitter, and, and seeing so many folks who are just feeling the burden of the work right now. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about that. How do we, how do we make teachers' work more equitable? Um, and I mean that saying this, like, man, when I taught in K-12, it was wall-to-wall, -wall, right? Like, I was teaching all day, and when I wasn't teaching, I was doing my quick planning prep in between, setting up my next science lab, that kind of thing. And you, you just can't do it all during the day because yeah. the school hours, you're with kids. Yeah. And it's hard to do the planning mm -hmm. and the prep and all of that. And so you always wind up taking work home with you, but that's cutting into other parts of your life mm -hmm. then too. So yeah. here's the thing I'd like to pioneer. And I don't know, this, this is blue sky dreaming here a little bit. I'd like us to pioneer innovative ways to make the school day work better for teachers in the sense that they would have time to plan and assess student work built in as mm. part of the school day. And I think the financial commitment that that will take to do that would mean you'd almost have to hire twice as many teachers. Because mm. let's say you got an eight mm -hmm. hour working day, yeah. I think half of that time should be for planning, assessment, mm. collaboration. Doesn't that sound like a dream? Right? And I think, I think mm -hmm. this is a commitment that we need mm -hmm. to make, because if we want to get great people to keep coming into this profession, we need structural changes. I agree. Yeah. Mm. 
Anyway, that's my dream yeah. for a time. It's unsustainable the way it is. That's what I'm afraid of. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I think we're getting, I think we're, I think we've known that, but I think, Dave, you cited in the last couple of episodes, right? 35, 45% of teachers yeah. have that wonder. Yeah, are yeah. wondering, you know, is it sustainable? Mm-hmm. And they're looking for alter- alternative options. That's right. Where they feel like they'll be compensated more and more highly valued. That's right. And I sometimes wonder if the highly valued is actually more important than the, the compensation, mm-hmm. right? Is to say to actually that you that you matter and you're making a difference right. rather than every decision you make feels like it's being questioned and it's out there out there for public consumption. And, and that's one thing, I think this is a tangible step to elevate the profession and say, we, yeah. we see it's more than childcare. Yeah, right? that's that's word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, the time contact time with students is incredibly important, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that contact time, you need time to plan, mm-hmm. and you need time to give students feedback on their work. So mm-hmm. we got to build that in. Right. Yeah. How about you guys? Something you'd pioneer? I I was thinking more. I mean, I was thinking a bit. You know, I wrote ongoing professional development. Right. Instead mm-hmm. of, um, you know, these one-off pro D days. Um, yeah. Let's get more. Let's get more serious about ongoing. Um, Pro-D that's going to lead to innovative changes in schools. Um, One of the things I'd love to see schools pioneer is just reimagining teacher evaluations. Oh, yeah. So there's both a pruning and a pioneering there, I think, of of elevating teacher voice in the the evaluation, that that teachers and school leaders are sort of co, like doing the evaluation together, kind of a co-laboring toward, you know, um, setting goals, helping achieve goals. Um, Instead of sort of this one and done, you know, you come in, you make an assessment about the effectiveness of a teacher. And there's so many variables that we know can impact any class on on any given day. Uh, So I just wonder about, hey, what what would teacher evaluations really look like that elevated teacher voice and led to improved practice and that we took the long we took the long view right like to mm-hmm. improving practice does take time mm-hmm. and so i think just yeah what what does that what does that look like well, how about yeah. you abby anything coming to mind yeah i think um i would like to see us pioneer more involvement with the outside world right and so Mm -hmm. thinking about ways that our students can and not just field trips right so how can they get involved with projects in the community or with people in the community or um i just saw on um a facebook page at my the public high school in the town where i live um pioneered a um like a job shadow at our local hospital for students to see oh, yeah. all of the facets of the healthcare mm-hmm. profession. So yeah. not just nursing, but also radiology and also mm-hmm. um, what it looks like to shadow a doctor and also, you know, like the lab and, mm-hmm. and all of those yeah. parts who want to go into the field. So how can we continue to develop opportunities outside of what we think of as school yeah. And, yeah. and reach out into See, see learning parts. is something bigger than just what happens in the walls of your classroom, right? right? That right. this is about how they're going to be as people, not just right. the academic side of can you and stop so, And facts? they can also see value then for what they're doing in the classroom and see mm-hmm. a purpose for it. And so integrating those things. And I'm thinking high school because that's my background. Sure. Um, yeah. But even so in a writing class, right, whose stories can we tell mm-hmm. as a class? How can we... 
how can we go make something of value, do beautiful work, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, in it, a real way. That's authentic. I just think about that idea of, hey, how can, you know, it goes, we've talked about this, the Woltersdorf quote, right? About Nicholas Woltersdorf, a, a philosopher who talked about, hey, it's it's a naive wish. It's, a, it's pious to think that if we want our students to leave our schools and go be shapers and makers of culture, that that's going to happen unless... They get an opportunity to do that when they're within our within our walls, and so I just think, hey, like provide opportunities for our students to to impact communities and culture, um, yeah, contribute to the common good. That's right. Friends, we know that your time is valuable, and we want to thank you for joining us today for another hallway conversation. And so, whether it is this day, this week, or this month, we hope the Lord gives you what you stand in need of. And as you go into this week, we send you with this blessing. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a good day. This podcast was quite literally dreamed up during one of our actual Hallway Conversations. Our music is by Ethan Mulder. Hallway Conversations is an independent podcast created and produced by Matt Beamers, Abby DeGroat, and Dave Mulder. Thanks for listening. I love driving trips, you guys. Yeah. I just I love it so much. No, I know. It's been... Uh... I loved it more before I had children. That is true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>